Hey, welcome to the Quarter Tones Podcast. This is a series of podcasts that we are doing in collaboration with the Habibi Festival. For longtime listeners, you'll remember that last year we did something similar. So what you're about to listen to is a live talkback that happened at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater in New York City last year. And we are speaking with some of the artists who performed at the festival. So you're about to hear a little bit of the performance and then a talkback with the artist held by either Rami Abu Khalil from Afikra or me, Mikey Mhenna. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And as always, if you'd like to learn more, head over to afikra.com. Or if you want to learn about that festival, go over to habibi-festival.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation.
amazing was that set? Um, I will say, I, you know, I've heard you play the Qanun before, but I've never heard you actually as part of a bigger ensemble. Mm. And I think that truly blew me away. Uh, my name is Rami. I'm, and I'm here with uh, Afikrav. We are a global organization that's dedicated to promoting curiosity around the Arab world and Arab culture. Uh, you can find us at afikra.com. Um, and as part of Africa, we have uh, a podcast called Quarter Tones. Mm -hmm. And Quarter Tones is dedicated specifically to Arabic music in the past, present, and future. And so we're very lucky to interview uh, uh, artists that work sort of within the Arab sphere. Many of them are here actually tonight. Uh, Faraj Abir is here somewhere. I saw him, yeah. We also interviewed... Uh, <laughs> you yesterday, an amazing uh, Iraqi artist. Uh, so you should uh, join our website uh, or listen to Quarter Tones wherever you listen to your podcast or on, or on YouTube. And as part of uh, uh, Quarter Tones, we also interviewed you yeah. uh, uh, a while ago. And so if you're curious to really do a deep dive uh, uh, into, your, into your work, I encourage everybody to, to go there. So for everybody who doesn't know you here in the audience, uh, tell us a little, bit about your, a little bit about yourself. So as Mira said, you're from Palestine. Mm. So what was your journey from Palestine to New York? Uh, it went through Boston. <laughs> <laughs> I know New Yorkers don't like that word a lot. <laughs> uh, I auditioned uh, right after high school to Berklee College of Music, mm -hmm. and I got a uh, full scholarship, and you know, I thought I should go. And um, I came here when I was 19 of age, and I stayed there for five years, did uh, two degrees, one in... You were a young musician. What's that? So you were a young musician. That's uh, a relative word, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I was there for five years, did a degree in performance and in jazz composition. And that, that was like a, a gate to so many different you know, realms of music. And right after Boston, I came to New York and settled here. Uh, it was one week before COVID. And, you know, I was happy, you know, to kick off my career as a freelance, independent, international musician. <laughs> and I had, you know, six months ahead of gigs and dates. You know, I was nervous, but I was mostly excited. And two things happened. On the night of my flight, I was in Palestine, celebrating Christmas. On the night of my flight, I, I fell down, I broke my wrist. And, you know, if you're a musician, you know what that means. It means total depression. It's the worst thing that can happen. It was difficult. I canceled my flight. Cancelled all the gigs, and I, uh, I got stuck there recovering in Palestine. But in a way, it was, you know, the recovery was healthy. It kind of helped me, you know, uh, steer into a, a new mood. So I, I overcame it, and then I came back to New York. I did one gig, and then lockdown happened. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm not going to fight the planet. <laughs> you know, just... But uh, it, was, it was a great experience for all musicians. It was scary, but it was pretty historical to be here. Because we all started finding alternatives, we all started working on projects that were, you know, in the drawers or outstanding. And so I recorded an album and released it. I recorded another album that's yet to be released. I work on so many singles, as well as I started teaching online. And suddenly I have students from Europe, from the Gulf, from the Middle East, from the States. So it was like a time to reflect and to kick off a new, uh, you know, career, basically. Amazing. And so did you grow up uh, playing the Qanun? 
Yeah, I started when I was 11. My first instrument was cello, actually. Uh, I studied classical cello for three years. Yeah, what cello? <laughs> but then, um, I, I really loved the cello, and I think it, it benefited me tremendously in terms of musical vocabulary and discipline and all this package you get with Western classical. It was excellent training. However, I, I did feel something was missing in the expressiveness in terms of, uh, you know, fully identify with my geography. And cello is an amazing instrument, but it didn't really reflect truly who I was. And so I moved to Kanun, and I think it was a big leap, because suddenly when I first, uh, first heard that first quarter tone, which is the in-between notes, the notes that you don't have uh, on a piano, it's between the white and black keys, it's all the out-of-tune notes that you heard tonight. <laughs> when I first produced that sound, it was an unforget unforgettable feeling because it, it, you know, it makes you feel that you can play so many of the folk music around you, so many of the classical Arabic music around you that you grew up on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, by show of hands, who here grew up in the Arab world? Okay, so, so, so quite a few. I do want to spend some time talking about the Qanun because I think it, it's a very specific instrument. It's honestly an instrument that uh, that I miss the most, sort of seeing, you know, uh, when, we, when we look at performances here, because growing up in the Middle East, you'd always see it sort of behind the diva. It was like there was the diva, and then there was the Qanun. The diva, man. <laughs> right? Uh, and, you know, Qanun, uh, it comes from the same Greek root as canon. It's essentially setting the, you know, it, it sets the register or it, or it sets That's the tone. Really so tell us a little bit about that instrument and, and your relationship with it. Well, yeah, in, in the Arabic music context, you were right. Kanun, uh, its main function is to accompany voice. And that was the main function of any musical instrument, because if you think about it, the vocal cords is the oldest and first instrument ever. So everything that came behind it came to complement it, not to replace it. But with time, you know, the repertoire evolved and the composers evolved, and each instrument got its own, you know, glory, such as the violin, piano, cello. And so... Uh, in Arabic music context, I'm not sure. I think I'm pretty sure there are examples of uh, of Kanun soloists at the time, but we don't know because there was no recordings. And Arabic music is an oral tradition, meaning they didn't notate music. So think about the tremendous amount of music that was lost in the past, I don't know, ever, 1,500 years. Um, but um, my main, you know input is to take the kanun to somewhere with it, where it can be the diva, you know, it can be the lead. And I think it, it deserves it because it has tremendous capacities. It can comp, it can lead, it can play rhythm, it can play harmonies, it can play, you know, so much. And it has so many frequencies. It's like the piano or the harp, but in a, in a Mediterranean version. Yeah, and we saw that so well sort of featured today. I think everybody here believes that it's, uh, it really has that potential. So tell us a little bit, you know, how did you then build the rest of the ensemble around the kanun? How did you pick those instruments and those specific sounds? That's a good question. I think the music dictates the instruments and not vice versa. You know, there's a great, uh, a great saying by Stravinsky. They once asked him, how did you become so good at orchestration? He said, because I don't orchestrate. Is when I write the music, I'm hearing it in a flute, I'm hearing it in a sax, I'm hearing it in so on and so on. Uh, so... I think that's one. That's when you write the composition itself, you should try to imagine what would make it work. But that's not always the case. Um, I also play with a different kind of setup, which is more um, uh, acoustic and more uh, traditional Arabic Eastern, like with a oud, 
with a nai, which is the Arabic bamboo flute, with a violin, with a Arabic percussion. But I think growing up, I was exposed to so many musical styles, and of course, when I came to Berkeley, it you know evolved a lot. And so I think a musician's true identity is reflected in you know what they heard over the years, and not necessarily what where they're from. You know what I mean? So I listen to a lot of international music, Brazilian music, flamenco, Turkish music, jazz, Western classical, you name it. And I think that was reflected in my compositions and in my arrangements. Uh, today, I was just trying to have you know, a sustained instrument, such as the sax and the flute, to you know, uh, contrast the plucked sound of the kanun. And the bass, you know, I really loved having acoustic bass. We actually tried both basses in uh, both rehearsals, and they both worked greatly, but there's something about the upright, which, one, which you saw today, that complements the frequencies of the kanun more than electric. Uh, guitar is mostly, well, two functions, to create that harmonic platform to complement the melody, as well as to double some of the melodies. And the drums, you know, drums is king. <laughs> um, you know, when we interviewed you for Quarter Tones, you also mentioned that you were listening at the time to um, Aziza Mustafa Zadeh, who's yeah. an Azerbaijani uh, artist. And, it's, and tonight, I really felt that resonance because there's the presence of the string instrument, mm -hmm. you know, so, so distinctly oriental, mm. you know, so recognizable, but then overlaid with it is the, either, the, either the bassoon or the, or the saxophone or the, or the yeah. trombone. Or, and, and that, that contrast between the two is so, so powerful. And, and I've never, I mean, I don't think anybody has ever seen that done with the kanun. Mm. It's usually with, you know, a, a, another Yeah, that's a good catch. Aziza Mustafa Zadi is definitely one of my big influences growing up. She's an Azerbaijani pianist, grew up in Germany. And she did a lot of, you know, she's mostly a jazz classical pianist. However, her father, Vagif, was a maqam master or a mugam in Azerbaijan, they call it. So you can hear that reflected in her music. And she was a big influence. But so many other influences, like uh, Paco de Lucia, for instance. Uh, I've been listening a lot to Yamandu Costa. He's a Brazilian guitarist. I think he played a jazz pub a few months ago. Uh, jazz is a big uh, you know, school for me, as well as Bach, Sumbati, Um Kaltum. I mean, there's so many schools to just learn from. It's so inspiring. It's endless. During the pandemic, I, I saw you, um, I remember you were doing these, uh, these compositions where you were playing all the different instruments yourself and sort of over, like, essentially it's an orchestra of yourself, you know, playing the piano and playing the, the, the you know, or, or the, the kanun and, and overlaying all these instruments. Is that how you create? Is that how you visualize the music? Well, sometimes the instrument does take you to a place that other instrument wouldn't take you. So if I'm playing on the piano, it might take me to a different direction in terms of melodic structure or harmonic structure more to say. Kanun is something else, Saud is something else. Sometimes it's, you don't need an instrument because most of the musical intellect comes from the mind. So the, the instrument is really just a device. But the instrument that you master or choose to master should be an extension of your body. You should be so fluent at it that it is the most expressive tool you have. But that doesn't mean that you couldn't try other instruments for your own sake or for your own uh, uh, you know, to provoke other musical ideas that wouldn't have come otherwise. Like, for instance, the piece you, saw, you heard today it was called Ambivalent. It was the first time we played it. I actually wrote that on a melodica, which is um, a keyboard like this that you blow in. And I don't think I would have got that melody if I was just playing kanun. So definitely different instruments uh, bring you to different uh, dimensions, and I encourage any musician to try and play with different instruments, not to, you know, pretend that they master it, just for their own you know, knowledge and fun. Where would you like to see the kanun go where it hasn't gone yet? 
I want to see the diva singing behind the kanun. Um, well, one of my big uh, ambitions is writing a kanun concerto uh, and, to be, and to leave something for uh, other generations of kanun players to look up to something, to have a repertoire. Because growing up, I didn't have a repertoire. I had to transcribe so many things. I mean, so many musicians here know that Arabic music is an oral tradition like jazz. So you listen and you imitate. You listen and you imitate. And unfortunately, 99.9% of the repertoire is vocal. And so, you know, the brilliance of an instrumentalist mainly comes from soloing in between songs, which we call taqsim, the art of improvisation in the maqam tradition. And so any music nerd have so many recordings of taqsims from the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, and so on, from their favorite instrumentalists. And I did that. I imitated and I transcribed and I had a vocabulary suddenly. But I want to create a bigger repertoire for other generations to be able to, you know, play this specific piece that was specifically written for Kanun. So I see the Kanun in a much bigger place. Amazing. All right. Well, on behalf of me and I think everybody else in this room, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rami. Thank you, everyone. Have a lovely night.